This is the Journey Podcast. We highlight the journeys of our guests, where they've been, where they are now, and where they are going. Let's join them on their journey. And welcome to the Journey Podcast. Today we have Mark Willis with us. And Mark is a certified financial planner. He's the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services, uh, headquartered in Chicago, Illinois. And Mark is an author who has written uh, three number one best-selling books, which is really cool. Uh, he gives great advice on investing strategies, investing in real estate, paying for college, and hopefully making us lots and lots of money so we can have great retirement. How are you doing today, Mark? Thanks for being here. Nate, glad to be on. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hey, first question out the gate I have to ask. Are you related to the people who are built the Willis Tower? <laughs> well, uh, if so, I'm still waiting for the penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it hasn't come yet. Yeah. You aren't calling us from the penthouse today, are That's you? That's right, man. I, I do live outside of Chicago, and we actually moved to Chicago right when the name was changing from the Sears Tower, and the whole town was just hating it, except for me. Yeah, because you know, I had the last name. So you're like, I'm here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I always thought it would have been a great diehard sequel to get Bruce Willis up on that thing. But uh, I don't know if he's still doing those movies or not. Absolutely. Well, you definitely have the Bruce Willis hair. So, <laughs> right so we can see the family resemblance there. So, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Uh, how did this how did this start with uh, late growth? Well, thank you. I'm a certified financial planner, and I've had the privilege of working with real estate investors, business owners, even NFL Super Bowl champions. But most of the people I sit down and talk with just want to have some more control over their finances. And that was me too, man. Uh, when I graduated from college, I was in six figures of student loan debt in the midst of the Great Recession of 2008 and had no plan or capacity to pay off all that debt. Uh, and I felt like um, a tennis ball just sort of floating down life's gutter. Uh, and I had, and I wanted a better way. I wanted some kind of sense of agency, some sense of control that I would be able to, yeah, move, move upstream financially and, and otherwise. And I didn't want to just be, you know, digging ditches for my entire life. You know, my, my first job after getting my fancy degrees, uh, was working at a property management company with a shop vac, if that gives you any idea. Wow. Uh, mm. So, you know, it, it humbled me, but at the point, the reason I had to get the job and it was a have to get, not a, not a want to get, but it was a have to get because I had so much debt and those payments, unlike these days, the payments were due uh, on those student <laughs> loans. So I, I, I kind of liked that because it gave me a little break to the ego and I wanted to, I wanted to be free of that problem. And that's what got me so focused on money that not only did I get my own financial house in order, but now, thank goodness, we've started a financial firm and we've been able to help folks all across the country. That's that's fantastic and uh, great uh, that you found that path and that road. And you said you mentioned you moved to Chicago. Can you tell us where you moved from, where you grew up from? I'm sure. I, well, I grew up in Indiana. I'm a Hoosier as a kid. Went to school down in Texas. I call it my seven years in the desert. Uh, and enjoyed that very much. Lots of great people down there um, and still love visiting as often as I can. And then moved to Chicago uh, after graduating from college in Texas. So Chicago's kind of a, an expensive town compared to the whole state of Indiana. Uh, were 
what was the planning behind uh, I've got a bunch of debt, but I'm going to move to Chicago or maybe you're oh. at that point. I don't mean no, to no, no, we were very much in debt. We had no jobs. We didn't really know a lot of people in Chicago. There was not a lot of planning happening at that point, man. Uh, we just wanted to move to the big global city uh, and, you know, we were going to figure it out, you know, like a young couple, my wife and I uh, just kind of figuring it out. We didn't have kids. We were renting. Uh, we didn't have a plan. And I feel like that's not to make it too macro on you here, but that's kind of how most people live their life. They just sort of wing it uh, and figure it out. And, oh, yeah, we'll figure that out later on. We ended up having to get like multiple side jobs in addition to our day job. Uh, and it wasn't fun. You know, uh, we were grinding for, that, for a couple of years there. That doesn't sound fun. Uh, it's hard enough to have one job sometimes. Uh, I can't imagine having to do multiple at my place in life with everything I have going on. So tell us a little bit. So when did when did that moment happen where you're like, we got to get a plan in place? Like, what when did that happen? What was that pivotal moment? Well, it was when I realized that my day job was not as secure as I thought it was. They were laying people off because it was 2008, and I knew I needed to make a patchwork of incomes. And so it was that aha moment that the the most risky I could be is to only have one customer, and that is your boss. Yeah. Uh, and when you when you think that you know, people who start their business are fools or crazy risky or whatever. Um, I thought that for most of my young adult life, that it was just too risky to start a business. But, you know, realizing that having a day job with one boss who could wake up on the wrong side of the bed and decide to lay some people off because they were feeling upset about something, that's a very risky life to live, especially if you want to do that for all of your income. Much better to have a hundred little bosses than one big boss, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So if you can fire a couple of your clients or if you can decide who you're going to work with as an entrepreneur, um, boy, you just have a, a much more resilient income source. So I didn't go straight to starting a business, but what I did was I had a number of side jobs and businesses that all of it kind of patchwork together got us through a very tough part of our life. And, and quite candidly, the whole world was going through a pretty big upheaval in 2008, if, if, if you can recall if for folks who were not, you know, adults during 2008, think back to how it felt for like a month in March of 2020. Yeah. For about a month, we all kind of did again, but it was like a whole year <laughs> or a year and a half, uh, from 2008 to 2009. That's kind of how it felt for a lot of Americans. Yeah. I had a lot of challenging times for myself. So I, I can relate definitely then. And I was unemployed during that time and had no plan. And I was just as broke. So we wouldn't have been able to get a coffee or anything. We'd just been like, Hey, I'm broke. You're broke. That's cool. So that's pretty yep. much it. So, mm -hmm. so tell me, what do you think is the most important place for somebody to start when there's a, I need to get a plan in place. Like where should they start with that? Well, it's easy to run to your nearby money guy or gal and just tell them to scratch you together a plan. Okay. And unfortunately, the myth is that uh, you can just you know hope and pray that the market will always go up. Uh, and even when it's going down, you just hold on and don't look at it. Uh, and you know you you build a quote plan around things you can't control. That's the general. Um, approach most financial professionals would have was, hey, let's just stick you in a couple of index funds, maybe grab a 401k or a Roth IRA or a brokerage account and see you in 40 years, you know? 
Uh, and that has led to quite a bit of pain, as I've been able to see uh, anecdotally, working now with people all across the country. We've got a thousand conversations that we've had over the last 10 years or more. We've got hundreds of clients around the country. And I've seen it more often than I care to mention that people think they were going to have X, but they usually end up with X minus a bunch of money due to volatility, due to fees on their investment portfolio, due to unforeseen life circumstances, you know, the divorce that they didn't expect, the disability they didn't expect, the death in the family they didn't expect, the house that burned down, whatever it could be, right? You know, it's life throws us curveballs when we were asking for lemonade. So, you know, when most people set to create a financial plan, they typically don't anticipate the unexpected. How could we? How could we? No right. one's got the crystal ball. Right. But we anticipate a up and to the right J curve. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. Average returns. Usually a financial advisor will give you a, some sort of number. You know, they'll say, well, you know, the market has over the last hundred years produced an average return of 10% a year for the last hundred years. So let's be conservative and bring it down to eight or six even. Let's be real conservative and say 6% average rate of return. And we'll say, wow, well, this, this financial professional, this pro, this financial guru, he knows what he's doing. So 6%, that sounds real safe. And so we go ahead and sign up for their rosy projections. And it's not until we've gone 40 years into the future that we realize our real return was way less than even the 6% he projected. And here's an example of what I mean. Let's say, for example, you got 10,000 bucks, Nate, and you want to invest that money in the market. So you invest it with some you know, financial guru and he doubles your money in the first year. Fantastic. Okay, so yeah, I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah. 10,000 goes up to 20,000. Woohoo, 100% return. Year two, you're sticking with him. You got 20 grand now. Oops, he lost half of your life savings, 20 grand back down to 10 grand. So you started with 10, you went up to 20, you came back down to 10. Do you feel any wealthier? Uh, no. Maybe no. less, maybe less wealthier because we didn't account for inflation here, but that's another story. Good point. Yeah. We're not even thinking about that, but you're exactly right. 10 grand was up to 20 grand back down to 10 grand after two years. And we're no more wealthier than we thought we were at the beginning. However, the average rate of return was 25% hmm. in that math experiment there. 100 minus 50 divided by two years is 25%. And your financial guru can go tell everybody that he got an average rate of return for his clients of 25%. But we have, you know, what, what good does that do We're us? We're not right? better off for it. Yeah. Gotcha. So the real return is something else. It's called the internal rate of return, sometimes the compound annual growth rate, blah, 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 lots of vocabulary, right? But the point is we are underperforming because of volatility. And most people's financial portfolios do not account for real rates of return, we are simply promised an average. And that's what breaks most people's financial life. Not to mention the other things I mentioned, um, right? Disability, divorce, uh, you know. Those uh, unforeseen circumstances that will happen. Yeah. yeah. So you asked the original question is, where do you start? I would actually not start with calling your guy or gal. I would start with you because you are your greatest investment. You know you better than anyone else. Nobody should care more about your money than you do. Uh, and so if you can ask yourself, what do I truly want my money doing for me? 
Like, what do I actually want it to do? Forget about what other people might say. What do I actually want my money doing for me? What characteristics would I want it to have? What functions, what verbs do I want? I don't care about the nouns. I want the verbs. Nouns are things like 401ks and meme stocks and cryptocurrencies and all that. I don't care about that yet. What I want to know first is the verb. What is it going to do for me? What's the function of my money? What's the function of your money? So that's actually a really great and free experiment you can have. You can grab a legal pad and just start writing. What do I want my money doing for me? And you can make, maybe you want you to, your money to have a competitive rate of return. Okay, well, what's important about that? Well, I want to be able to have it work for me. I don't want to just work hard for my money. I want it to work for me too. Okay, good. So you write down competitive rate of return. Next, you might say, well, I don't think taxes are getting any lower. I think they're going over my lifetime. They're probably going to go up. So I want my money accessible tax-free in the future. Okay, so I'm going to write down tax-free access to my cash and retirement, tax-free retirement income. Cool. Passive income might be another one there, right? Um, you might put passive income because I want a stream of money that lasts as long as I do. Maybe you want to be able to, I mean, you tell me, what are some other things? Maybe you want it private and off the radar. So it's um, not hackable. Maybe it's not um, you know, something that can be sued out of existence. Or if you go through bankruptcy, you don't want courts taking that money away from you. So you could just make this long list of all these characteristics, Nate. What about you, man? What, what would you add to that list? Uh, I would add legacy or generational wealth. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. What's important about that for you? Uh, it hasn't existed in my family prior. So everybody starts from zero, generation after generation. And I'm really big on changing that. And and so generational, we I, if I could pass on 200 bucks... <laughs> yeah we we've we've turned the tide a little bit you know and obviously that. more than that but mm -hmm. um yeah that that would be a big and that's a big goal of mine as well and i think we're well on that way in that plan that's great man that's a great one and honestly that's what's it all for except for that right, right. you know right um, leave the world a better place Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's other things, uh, passing it on to maybe some nonprofits that we love or, or care about very much or uh, that nonprofit that I'm going to start in the future. So mm -hmm. love it, things. man. Yeah. Yeah. So starting with that list of what do I want my money doing for me? And then starting to put that those puzzle pieces together and then trying to find financial tools that meet as many of those criteria as possible with as little complexity as possible. Mm -hmm. Like we could do everything you and I just said, tax-free income, passive wealth, leave a legacy, you know, uh, predictable and even competitive returns. We could get a pretty complex trust together with a fleet of attorneys and multiple in, um, investment strategies. And it would cost you thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Sounds fantastic. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, what's Ooh. that? Uh, yeah, what's that joke about? Um, why did um Chicago get all the attorneys and Gary, Indiana, you know, which is nearby Chicago? There's a town called Gary, Indiana, but it's got right. a lot of. Um, why did why did Chicago get all the attorneys and Gary, Indiana, get all the toxic waste? Why is that? Give up. Uh, well, Gary picked first. <laughs> I gotcha. Sorry for the attorneys listening, but uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, so bottom line is you want to think about what you want your money doing for you first. That would be the very first step. After that, go find the most simple way to, to make it all happen. Hmm. Uh, yeah, good advice. I appreciate that. I, I think it's so, so important to, uh, you got to know what your goals are before you can go to somebody and say, hey, I don't, 
to, for me to come to you and say, Mark, what are my goals? I don't know. I don't know you, you know? And so you got, yeah. you, you got to determine those goals for you. Nobody else can be your financial guru. You've got to be your own financial guru. No one else should care more about your money than you do because everybody else has a plan for your money. And that includes retail stores, by the way. Amazon sure has a plan for your money. Oh, yeah. The, you know, um, the car dealer, whatever, uh, mm -hmm. has a plan for your money. Your financial advisor gets paid on your assets. It's literally called assets under management. It's your assets under their management. And so they'll get paid. Even if markets are crashing, they're still taking money off the top, which is a you know, shame in my opinion. But they should be able to get, get paid no matter how bad they're doing for you. But Sounds like a great business story. to be in, Mark. Yeah, I'm telling you. Yeah, uh, I, I I feel you, man. I, I I have forsook that business model. I don't do that myself. But man, that's why they had the Wolf of Wall Street movie. Like literally, that's the there's a reason why. You know, there's there's just money to be made off people's backs, and I think it's a shame. It as a fiduciary and a certified financial planner, I try my best to work on my client's side of the table. Um, so we don't. We certainly do get paid, but we certainly don't have to retire before our clients do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, really changing the narrative when you're not making money in that avenue. So mm -hmm. you've had the business, what, about 10 years now? Am I correct in that understanding? Yep. What's uh, the one, like the biggest challenge you've had to face in building this business? Um, pushing back against the frontiers of ignorance in my own mind and realizing what's possible and not possible for clients and myself too, by the way. Uh, I think actualizing your potential is one of the biggest, coolest goals of being alive, just actualizing your potential, right? How far can your rocket ship fly? Don't know yet. Never had this little life lived before. So what, what can, what's possible here? That's the biggest challenge is what can be done with these limited time resources, money resources we all have, and what can we help our clients do? Like, wouldn't it be cool? If 10% of America, 10% of America had sound money solutions that were built on sanity and not paper wealth and insanity, like we have today, most 401ks and IRAs are built on paper wealth and insanity. Why is it sane to think that um, somebody sneezing on somebody else should break my retirement or that somebody tweeting the wrong thing should break my retirement fund? That doesn't make any sense. That's insane. So what if there were projects and strategies and proposals and ideas that absolutely guaranteed that my financial plan would work. Mm -hmm. What would that do to my life expectancy? What would that do to my relationship with my friends and my wife and my kids? I mean, well, how would that impact my health? And you know, what would that do to my ability to sleep well at night? Uh, so what if 10% of America had a plan, you know, an actual, actual financial plan? That just seems like something to get out of bed in the morning and try to work on. So do you have a statistic on what percentage of America does have a plan? Less than 1% of America has a financial plan. Uh, and I think that's interesting since um, we're all seeing the, the rise and fall of the 1% and all that. But I'd say that most people who have a financial plan never implement it. I was reading a 2019 study. I'm going to have to get the source for you, man. Um, but it was a Vanguard study, if I recall. So check this out if you can find it. Uh, less than 25% of people who got the financial plan implemented half of it. Wow. So that's saying something. So we all have these nice books and bookshelves and, and binders full of recommendations of our financial lives and our financial plans. Uh, it'd be sort of like, it's sort of like this, like 
imagine we went into a health and wellness coach in their office and they did a deep dive into my biometrics, my blood sugar, my, you know, height and weight, everything. And then she or he spent a ton of time building this big binder of, you know, hundred pages worth of recommendations and then plopped it down in front of me and said, you know, here's your health and wellness plan. And it's, it's just raking me through the coals on all the stuff I couldn't, I'm doing wrong. And, uh, the, the things I need to do right. And, and the food I need to stop eating or start eating. Yeah. I'd probably put that on a shelf or throw it out too. So yeah, the, the vast majority of people don't have a plan. Those that do don't implement the plan. And this is why, according to the U S commerce bureau, the average 401k balance of someone who's 55 years old is only 130,000 bucks. Wow. Seems pretty low. Seems low. That turns into about 300 bucks a month of retirement income, by the way. It's too low. It's so not there, enough. So there's got to be a better way, right? You know, there's got to be other options. Um, and our financial firm typically goes against the grain. We're not your average financial firm. And we find strategies that seem to hit the target and help people meet their goals without, you know, a bunch of unnecessary risk. So Mark, you have a plan. And have you implemented the plan? I hope. Yeah. Every so day. was on the plan. So that was super easy for you, right? Uh, no. no. <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit about that road, if you could, mm-hmm. about that implementing that plan for yourself. It, well, it's not so much the plan as it is the planning. That's what's more important is the planning. You know, it's not, it's not the plan. It's the planning that really counts. Is our is it? a regular habit you have to sit down with maybe you and your wife or you and your spouse or you and your, your buddies and sit down and say, all right, here's where I'm at today. How do I course correct my ship for me and my wife? We had a a lot of trouble figuring out the money thing at the beginning because neither of us came from wealth and our first conversations were just, how are we going to balance the budget this month? And we would have to do it in like an ice cream shop in case there needed to be witnesses because we'd get pretty heated sometimes. And we'd have some ice cream, you know, some sugary treats and stuff to keep us cool. But it was tough having those money talks first. And it was just, how do we get, what do we need this money to do before we get paid again? That was the financial plan. (laughs) What do we need this money to do before we get paid again? And that's actually the best question you can ask when it comes to your cash flow budget, by the way. What do we need this money to do before we get paid again? What are the names or jobs of our dollars in our pocket right now, in our bank account right now? So that would be the very simplest and like, on the run right, runway kind of financial plan. After that, it was all about how do we get out of this debt? Because mm-hmm. we had a monster load of debt and it was crushing us like a avalanche. And for the time being, we were kind of doing the Dave Ramsey thing for a while. And I got I to gotta give him a shout out. He's given us a lot of good advice from being a radio host, right? He doesn't know me. I don't know him. But you know, he got us focused on our budget. That was awesome. So I was a huge fanboy of Dave Ramsey. And we were following his plan for a good chunk of the time there. We had about $120,000 of student loan debt, Nate, and we had knocked it down to about 70 grand when I kind of started figuring out something felt empty here. And I realized, okay, I'm overpaying on all this debt. And it felt great. It was sort of like the sugar high of finance to pay off my debt this way. To pay cash for anything is sort of the sugar high of finance because Think about it this way. We 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 um we either finance our purchases like a car loan 
or in my case, a student loan, or we pay cash for that car or degree or whatever, and we lose the opportunity to grow that money ever again. So think about when you buy a car, you're saving in, in a savings account, save, save, save up, up the money goes. And then what happens? Crash, right? We withdraw the money. <laughs> Out it comes and we give it to the car dealer and off we go. We're feeling great behind the wheel of our car, but what happened to our compounding growth of our money? It's at zero now, right? We broke compound growth. So our car was 30 grand. That was the sticker price, 30 grand. But the true compounded loss might be over a hundred thousand bucks over your lifetime for a stinking car. Hmm. So the problem is we finance everything we buy. We either pay interest to a banker or car loans and whatever, or we pass up interest, we could have earned on that money had we not bought the car and just let the money compound for the rest of our life. That's the problem of paying cash. And that's what I realized. That was my aha moment, you might say, in my journey uh, as I was paying off all this debt. I realized, wow, I'm spending my most important dollars of my life. I'm a young mid-20-something kid or young adult, I should say, and I'm throwing this money into a hole called my debt. And I'll never see that again. Sally Mae is going to retire before I can because I'm throwing all this money into a hole. And this is money I should be seeing compound for me because my dollars in my hand at 25 are more valuable than when I'm 65 due to compound, right? Due to the time value of money. Okay. So I'm getting through my plan here, but um, I had to find a better way to pay off all that debt. And this is sort of um, when a, a good friend and a previous college professor of mine he had come to visit us and he sat us down in my, in my living room. He was in our living room visiting and he said, Mark, I've got something important to talk to you about. So we sat down, we started talking and he said, Mark, he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, Mark, is it possible that Dave Ramsey could be wrong about something? And my mind blew up right there because <laughs> I'd never really thought about that. Mark, before. we might get canceled. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I don't want to, unsub- you know, don't unsubscribe guys. You know, he's a, the show is awesome. So yeah. And uh, so it was a big like struggle for me because I, I was the fanboy of, of the century for Dave Ramsey. I had him in my iPod and all that um, back when you had to download podcasts. Yeah. You could listen to him. So um, long story made longer, I guess uh, I, I started stumbling across strategies that were different than what Dave Ramsey taught but gave me the ability to make my debt an asset. To build wealth off of my debt was the biggest turning point in my adult life, financially speaking. And it's changed my family future, not just my own financial future, but my family's future. And it's created an asset and a legacy and compounding that will never stop for as long as I live. And I can pass it on to future generations. That to me was the like the wake up call of the journey. If you want to say, if it was the, if it was the moment when Frodo left the Shire, that was it for me. Wow. That's the, that's fascinating. And to learn more, check out Mark's website to learn this strategy. Uh, I'm I'm sure he has some amazing things that you share in your uh, podcast. We could, uh, we could go a lot further with that aha moment of, uh, how do you do that? I guess is the next question. It's probably different for every person. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, career. You know, you're a financial planner. You're a fiduciary. Uh, I don't think everybody knows what that means. It's a that's a funny word, fiduciary. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, first define that for us. Financial planner, fiduciary, what what do you actually do or how do you make money? Real quick, just yeah. real brief. Financial planner, it means nothing, literally. There's no official definition out there. People can call themselves that financial advisor, uh, financial professional. Um, there is no official definition. It's sort of like all natural peanut butter. You know, there's no quality control on that language all natural can mean anything really exactly so um be careful of who all you work with there dirt. there you go yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah low fat uh low fat uh bucket of, bucket of lard you know it's mm-hmm. it just doesn't make sense so the 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 first piece is i am a certified financial planner uh which just means i went through a number of different courses and hold myself to a certain uh, not just myself, but I'm held to a certain set of standards of control and quality so that the general public knows what they're getting when they work with a CFP. Uh, and in addition, the word fiduciary is just a part of what one of those standards that the CFP board holds us all to. The word fiduciary, long story, making it short, it just means working in your client's best interest. Um, so I like that. I'm a believer in that. I follow that. I like being a CFP. I also question those words. What does what the heck is the best interest of a client or any of us? Can anyone tell me what is the best interest for me? Like, where am I going to go eat tonight? Is it in my best interest to get a hamburger? Well, maybe I want to eat a hamburger. <laughs> but in my best interest, I guess I should be eating grass in my backyard, I guess. But what is my best interest in this moment? It's hard to answer that question, isn't it? So you have to be a very good listener when you're a fiduciary because you want to tease out all of the noise and get down to what is it people truly want. And that's a hard thing for folks to even know for themselves, much less talk about. So I put less interest in the words and people's titles and their labels. You know, I mean, Bernie Madoff famous Ponzi scheme guy. He was a fiduciary for his clients, literally. So don't worry about the title. I have them if you want to see them. But the key is trust. It still comes down to, do you trust this person sitting across the table from you? And are they doing something that's as close to the best interest as possible? That's all I can say about that. It, what, what do you think, Nate? How do you do this thing with with money, with trust, and and working with other people? I it it's not a it's not a one thing. I think it's interesting. Just had a, a conversation on another episode. Uh, everybody takes a different path of establishing trust with people. You know, uh, we may be able to establish trust with each other in five conversations. That it may take me twenty five conversations to establish trust with another person. Um, it, it's all about understanding how they function and you have different triggers and different env- environmental factors and those types of things. So uh, what do I think? I think we have to be really, really good listeners. Uh, and I've just learned that I don't think anybody's ever been born a good listener. I think it's a learned trait. Uh, there's nothing environmental that makes us a good listener because we're inherently selfish, I believe. And so I want to talk about me. Okay. I don't want to talk about Mark. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's so true. Um, but, and it's one of the reasons that I'm a podcast host, because I want to learn how to be a better listener. So I force myself to sit here and shut up. <laughs> when And when you're a guest, here's a little breaking the fourth wall for your audience. But when you're a guest, it is a little awkward because, you know, I want to, I want to be uh, listening in most of the day 
I'm not the blabbing mouth like I am on guesting on these shows. I'm listening to our clients. I'm asking questions. I'm taking notes. I typically take somewhere between 10 and 15 pages of notes for each couple or, or individual that sit down with me over the course of several conversations to really understand their, you know, their goals. Their, what are they afraid of? What keeps them up at night? You know, if, if we're going to work together in five years, how do you define a success like as tangibly as possible? I've had incredible conversations. Boxes of tissues have been emptied for, for sake of all the tears that have been shed in our conversations uh, because money sometimes touches those deep parts of us, right? So having a someone there to catch you financially and emotionally and otherwise, you kind of have to wear a couple of hats. There's the minister hat. There's this, the counselor hat. There's the the math nerd with the financial calculator hat. Uh, you've got to do a lot when you're a, a certified financial planner, but it's a privilege. It's a, it's a high calling and glad to do it. Yeah, it's, it's so true. All right, tell us mentor. Mark didn't come all of this, or maybe you did. You plugged into something and downloaded it all. I mean, you might be a robot. We're not sure. So <laughs> I'll check and I'll let you know. Any mentors that you can shout out here? Tell us a little bit about that, uh, getting you through to where you're at now. Well, um, in that moment, in that living room, uh, a, a professor was a mentor of mine and a professor of mine. I think he somewhat felt guilty for all the debt that he indirectly got me in. He didn't do yeah. it. You know, I, I signed up for it. It's my debt, but I think he was, I don't want to put emotions in his heart, but I think he was there to give us a way out. He'd helped, he'd helped us in the debt. Now he's going to give us a path out and he sure did. Uh, he, he introduced us to a strategy called bank on yourself, which helped me become my own banker and pay off my, not just pay off my debt, but buy back the debt from Sally May and the rest of the snakes that we owed money to uh, so that we could bank on ourselves, become our own source of financing and wipe out the debt in a much better way, not just become debt-free, which is Dave Ramsey's clarion call, but be our own bank, which helped us become better than debt-free and build wealth on the debt we once carried. So our mentor introduced me to that and I'll be forever grateful for him, to him for that. Uh, and it's created not just financial sanity for my wife and I, but a legacy as well. Mm, very, uh, very good. I always learn so many incredible things from guests on the uh, journey here. And I've actually implemented a couple of things just because of guests that I've met uh, here on the journey. And this bank on yourself, I'm not familiar with it. I'm going to go check it out. It's, it sounds pretty fascinating. Uh, it's probably similar to something I'm already using, but I, I just love tools and and poking at it and stuff and my garage is full of tools uh <laughs> so tell me um what is unique about mark maybe it's the dave ramsey thing you've already talked about but i i always have a question here is just tell me what is something that you do as a certified financial planner that really are a room full of financial planners would be like i don't agree with you about that why what's unique about mark well, it's it's going to get hard to nail it down to just one thing there. <laughs> uh, they, there's a um, our podcast is called Not Your Average Financial Podcast, and I'm not your average financial planner, that's for sure. Most don't so, have a podcast. That's true. Well, yeah, yeah. There's that, but the uh, the approach I'm taking is different in that the general financial planner wants you to scrimp and save and live on beans and rice for 40 years, put it all into a tax deferred 401k then climb their mountain so they can get paid a fee. And they have good intentions. I get that. 
but then they, you know, get you to the top of the mountain. Maybe you've got a million bucks in your 401k. That's great. And then what? They don't have much of a plan there. There's a withdrawal rate. They might give you a, a guesstimate. Hey, take 4% a year out, 2.8%, whatever. Take some money out. That that translates into a very little income stream. You know, the best research tells us that you're supposed to take no more than about 2.8% of your money out if it's an equity-based portfolio like a 401k. So Nate, you got a million bucks. You're feeling like a seven-figure guy. You got a million bucks in your 401k. You're loving life. And what do you do? You got to take out what's 2.8% of a million. That's 28,000 bucks. You're living on the millionaire lifestyle at 28 grand a year out of your 401k. It's horrible. Isn't that horrible? And you got to get taxed on that money. So that's Mm. maybe 22 grand after Uncle Sam gets his. That's the millionaire lifestyle. I believe there's a better way. All right. We don't have to hope and pray that markets won't crash right when we need the money. Uh, And so we set up not just a retirement plan, but a whole life plan. We look at how are we going to get those kids to college? How are we going to go to Disney World next summer? How are we going to buy your next car and the next 10 cars you're likely to buy over your lifetime? Average couple buys about 12 cars over their lifetime, by the way. So every person, maybe that's six cars per person. That's 12 for a couple. So what about business? Maybe you want to start a business. How about real estate investing? All of this is the entirety of your life, the circle of your life. And how do we leave as much as possible? How do we not just climb up the mountain, but safely get back down and pass the baton on to the next generation? How do we give them the provisions they need to climb their mountain? Not just, you know, fall down the mountain exhausted and starving, but how do we get up the mountain, come back down, hand it off to the next generation? That's what we do that's crucially different. And I believe that's, the, the least we could do for our clients who've entrusted so much to us. Well, Mark, you're definitely the, the different, uh, not your average financial planner. I'm glad you were on the journey today. Tell me though, uh, one question I'd love to ask our guests, uh, is there any other occupation that you'd like to try before you're all said and done with your career? You're pretty young though. You've got lots of time. So yeah. Well, I've heard you ask this question. People give great answers. Uh, my daughter has decided to sell Orange Aid. Mm. And so I would like to, she's six years old. Uh, so I would like to get into the Orange Aid business with her. I think that'd be a great partnership. Uh, I'd be the angel investor. I'd buy the oranges and the sugar and the water and all that. And uh, she's great at what she does. So I'll just um, be a partner with her in her Orange Aid business. Uh, I love it. My son is also six. We He did an incredible lemonade stand this summer did $200 and he spent it really fast. So he's going to have to learn how to make a lot of money because he likes to spend it just as fast. So that's awesome, man. Way yeah. to go for him. Yeah. He he's, he's pretty, he's pretty motivated. So, uh, all right. A couple rapid fire questions here for you, Mark. I appreciate you being a guest here on the journey. The time just flew, which is generally my favorite episodes actually, when we can just talk and have fun. Uh, Tell us a couple of books you would recommend to the audience. It doesn't have to be financial. Maybe they're just like the best read you ever had. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'll, I got a couple behind me. Uh, I've been talking about bank on yourself. This one hit the New York times bestseller list. So it's called the bank on yourself revolution by Pamela Yellen. Check that one out. Um, I am a big fan. I'm, I'm a big coffee drinker. So there's a great book on how to make coffee. And it's right there as well. Where is it? Right there. And it's like 
a hundred different ways to brew it, prepare it, drink it. It's it's like the wine book for coffee. I'm a big fan. There's another book and I'll, one more, uh, if you're into business or entrepreneurship or leadership, The Road Less Stupid <laughs> by Keith I Cunningham. I love the title. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> by Keith Cunningham, great guy, smart, wicked smart guy. Uh, the Road Less Stupid. Great book on mentorship, leadership, that sort of thing. Good stuff. Okay, if I were starting a business today, what is a word of advice you would give me? Um, well, make the best you can is all you can do. And then try again tomorrow when you fail. Just get out there and ready, fire, aim. That's awesome. All right. Uh, you know, we covered a lot of things, Mark, and I, we're a little over time, but that's okay. Sometimes that's a better episode too. Is there any questions you wish we would have covered today? No, I think we've, uh, yeah, let's say, let's say this at the end of your life, what do you wish was like written on your tombstone? And what's one thing you don't want on your tombstone? I'll ask you that question, Nate. Uh, I'm going to defer that back to you, Mark, while I oh, think about on. that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Well, okay. I, I know I threw that one back at you. Sorry about that. So the one thing I don't want on my tombstone is the words he had such potential. Mm. You know, when you're 25, the word potential is good. I love potential when you're young and you got the, but if you're on, if you're on the other side of the grass, man, that's uh, that's a scary word to have on the, on the, on the tombstone. And it's sort of like these rockets, like NASA's waiting to launch one of their rockets, Artemis, and it's been delayed a few times. And I just think about that untapped potential sitting there on the launch pad. You know, what a, what a beautiful thing until it starts to rust out. And like, if, 30 years go by and they never launched that thing. Just what a waste, right? What a waste to not launch that rocket. So go launch your rockets, guys. Hmm. Well, uh, I'll answer the question because you asked it to me, Mark. So here's my thing about tombstones. I did a lot of research with uh, during COVID on my family. And I would have to go to these cemeteries. I physically went to these cemeteries. And you can barely read these things. And then they would say things, you know, kind of like we have in our LinkedIn profile today. We're going to say speaker, author, podcaster, founder, whatever these things are. And I just want mine to say friend. And I just want it to be clean for at least 100 years. And the reason I mean it's clean, it means that somebody's actually coming there because I'm, I've made such an impact that somebody has cared enough to maintain that long into the future where they said, that whoever Nate was, that he we cared enough that he's still our friend, that we went and visited that. Because really the tombstone doesn't mean anything, and these are meaningless things. They're just a monument to who we were, but it's something that's so important. That would mean a lot that if it just said friend and you could actually read it for at least 100 years, that would be so important to me to that's be able great. to do that. So Because I know and many of our listeners probably have family members uh, you're not even sure where they're buried. So, uh, and you wouldn't know how to find them if you did. And trust me, searching through a cemetery is not an easy thing. You'll look like a creeper anyways. Nobody knows why you're there in the first place, but nobody asks either. So, oh, Nate, Nate you're, you're giving me the goosebumps, man. Think about that. A whole human, precious human life. And we don't even know where they're buried. You know, these are our, our ancestors, right? Mm -hmm. um, boy, that's a, that's awesome. Thanks yeah. for doing that and giving us that. Yeah. Awesome. All right, Mark, thanks so much for being on the journey podcast. Hey, you've written a couple books, I think. Uh, you've got a podcast website. You got a lot of resources out there. Tell us where we can find those things. Uh, 
so we can engage with you more. Sure. Yeah. If you would like to build a real financial plan that doesn't rely on the whims of the Wall Street casino and you're ready to do that in a way that's safe and predictable, I can help. Uh, go to kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark.com. Imagine having nothing, nothing but good news when you open up your account statements. That's what happens when we work together. Uh, I build true financial plans that are built around guarantees and predictability. And that's been my privilege for, you know, for several hundred clients around the country. So that's kickstartwithmark.com. Wow. Fantastic. Go check out Mark's website. It's a great website. Checked it out myself. Got a wonderful podcast there. What you see is what you get. Uh, I really appreciate spending a little time with you, get to know you better. And feel like this is something that we'll probably get to do again soon in the future. So this is great. Awesome. Thanks for the time. Yeah. Thank you. Great day.